So I, my paper was on becoming the bride of Christ, the bride of the lamb. And um, I, I'm gonna do a little bit of reading most of the time because I didn't really prepare so much. But um, I looked at um, the revelation itself because as I was reading, I felt like, yes, we read about revelation. It has so much mysteries. And I feel like you cannot really understand everything. But for that moment, the Holy Spirit gives you something for you. And I felt like this is something that he gave me for me and um, my own life or what I'm walking through. And I think on what becoming that bride looks like. And um, so, yeah, when we look at the book of Revelation, mostly we look at it as the end time. We look at it as um, what that ending will look like. So in the, in the end of, in the final chapters of a revelation, we see that there's uh, just a minute. All right, so the final chapters of the book of revelations describes two cities, both of which are likened to women. And um, we see this Babylon, the prostitute, which is found in Revelation 17, uh, verse one to five and verse um, two of chapter 18. Then also another city, which is Jerusalem, the new bride. So we have two cities which uh, represent two communities. They represent two sets of values and um, two futures. And basically we are looking at where each person is going to end. Uh, is it like in following where the woman who is influencing the world, the great um, prostitute or being in with the bride in New Jerusalem? And so I focused on looking at Babylon, and what that represents in our daily lives as we live today. Though it's something that is foretold as the end, how that is going to be. I look at Babylon as the ways of life and the system that we live in and our everyday lives, whether that is something that is connected to being in that Babylon or something that you are building in becoming the bride that is going to be ready when Christ comes. So with that, I, yeah, so I'm like, what kind, what community of Babylon looks like? And uh, the community of Babylon really is the one that leads the king the rulers, the world into what the sexual immorality and sexual immorality is something that is an imaginary of sexual approach, spiritual adultery and idolatry. 
It's not like the act of where everyone is singing. Yes, that is just part of it, but this is an imaginary of um, spiritual adultery and idolatry. Um, also, Babylon does not only seduce the leaders of the world, but also the people, the common people, everyone, because the enemy knows he's fighting for the souls. So it doesn't matter whether you are rich or you come from a wealthy family. He looks at the value of the souls because those are the souls that Christ died for. And he wants to be those souls that are going to dwell with him in New Jerusalem. And also because Babylon is very selfish and driven by self-interest, she is willing to sacrifice others to promote her own benefit and prosperity. And so we see that generation after generation, the world of sin keeps coming back in different ways, um, different forms of evil, different forms of wickedness. And it is resilience because it keeps coming back. It's not like what the evil that happened during the, the writing of the Bible and the evil that happens now. It's all the same, but all in different forms. And yes, the beast as a man and kingdom will embody the brutality, will embody different ways that as Christians, we need to be very alert to see and discern the moments that we live in because there's a fine line between being um, living a holy life and living a lukewarm uh, kind of lifestyles as Christ tells us in uh, one of the letters to the churches. Uh, the Bible tells us that still, though there's all this, the same worldly system, one day it will come to an end. And that's in Revelation 21 verse 10, which says that then the devil who, de who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets are too. And they will be tormented there for days and nights forever and ever. So then we look at New Jerusalem where John says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride, atoned for her husband. The city is beautiful, is adorned with, reflects, which reflects the glory of God, like stones of crystal clear jasper. It is beautifully decorated and graced with precious stones. She is radiance like the most rare jewel. Its high walls have 12 gates on which the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel are inscribed. The city walls have 12 foundations on which there were 12 names of the apostles of the Lamb. I think for me, the highlight here is reading about how the 12 apostles became part of the, became the foundation of the city walls. Um, the Bible records how Jesus has called, called the 12s, 
how he taught them and sent them into the world to preach the good news of salvation. Jesus was constantly praying for them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. We see how these apostles were persecuted and died a very different and painful death. Each one died very differently and yet very painful. All I can say is that these disciples are a great example of what being purified and sanctified look like. They became worthy, precious stones that have been used for the walls of the holy city of Jerusalem. And um, I looked up like there are all 12 different stones and all those stones to get a jewel, you need to really purify them. They go through fire, they go through purification and for it to be marketable and worthy, it means it has gone through, removed the fake things that associate with it, that it just becomes very pure. And when we look at each and every one of those disciples, we see what they went through, the sacrifice they went through and uh, the dedication and like they were really sold out for what they had given their lives for. Um, yeah, so the walls of the city must have a strong fortified foundation because walls are there to protect and safeguard the building and Jerusalem is a sanctified city. And um, I see that in New Jerusalem, there's no need for the sun or the moon to shine for the glory of God is its own light. And there's no temple for the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb is the temple. The city will always be open and yet no evil will ever enter there. And so when we look at the two cities, we see that God is saying, come out of them, separate yourself. He's not just saying you have chosen this path, stay where you are. He still calls each one of us to come out and be separated. And of course, there is the judgment that he's given to us, something that we can work, to, uh, work from as we pursue becoming uh, that lamb of the lamb, that bride of the lamb. And so I looked at things that God is judging, like even today, like what is God judging? Because who talks about God judging Babylon. And um, so God is judging the worldly system for its sinfulness. And because God is and is a just and pure God, the only way to maintain order is that he is going to focus on who he is. He is a holy God. He is um, without sin. And so he's judging demonic nature, like we find in Revelation 18, verses 1 to 2. There it talks about God judging Babylon because she has become a demonic dwelling place as a prison for every unclean spirit. He's also judging idolatry. God judges Babylon for committing immorality with the nations and corrupting them to turn their hearts from the one true God and to seek after every wealth and riches. Because idolatry transforms an individual, 
which means that the image that you become is something either a lifeless idol or you become an image of God. And so idolatry is something that God is judging because what you be, what you worship really is what you become. And we want to become like Christ. We want to become as children of the living God. Um, yeah, so God is not the center of your worship, but what he desires when you be, you are, you're worshiping the idolatry. Jeremiah 15 uh, verse 6 tells us that the Lord said, you people have deserted me. You keep turning your back to me. So I have unleashed my power against you and have begun to destroy you. I have grown tired of feeling sorry for you. I think this is something that though God is um, merciful, gracious, there is a time that he has said for us that we have to either repent or follow through with the lives of what I'm calling the Babylon worldly system. Uh, God is judging pride. And um, we see from chapter 18, um, 6 to 8, which refers to um, the king of pride, also is also found in Isaiah 27, where the beast coming out of the sea, the Lord will punish it. Pride produces hypocritical spirits. It blinds people from sin and God's mercies. Uh, when you are proud, you don't see your sinful nature. You don't see something is wrong in your life because you just look at yourself as something you have already attained that what you want in your own eyes, but it's not in the eyes of the Lord. And so, yes, God is judging Babylon for glorifying itself. One of the Ten Commandments from Exodus, if we remember, is like, you shall have no other gods besides me. It is God's desire that we worship him alone, not to make pleasure or wealth or what. We want not to seek after other gods. Uh, we also see an example of God judging um, pride in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the example there is where Nebuchadnezzar became very arrogant and credited himself as the source of Babylon's power and wealth. Even though Babylon was a great and powerful king, he failed to recognize and acknowledge God in his life at this point. Uh, we also have an example in Genesis 11 with the building of the Babel um, Tower. God is judging the rebellion and hardening of hearts. And God warns of unbelief and deception that creeps into people's lives. Uh, very easily. Another example is found in Job 41, where um, the Leviathans <laughs> speak soft words, wants to make a covenant with you to take him for a servant forever. And God says, remember the battle. You're not to yoke yourself with pride. 
um, Hebrews 3 also, this place where God is judging um, rebellion. I think I spoke about that already. So anyway, with all that, when you look at this, the two cities, um, Babylon representing the worldly system that we live in and um, what God is judging even now through those things, we want to see how does that apply to us? How does that apply to my life or the church today? And so on becoming the bride, I liken that the everyday bride. I mean, when you become the bride, you want to focus in making yourself ready for that day. There's so much work in preparations that goes into um, that wedding day. Um, so yeah, the first thing I think in becoming the bride is knowing that you are pursued. You don't just become a bride without, without having the bridegroom. So you have to have the bridegroom. He pursues you. Uh, there is an invitation extended and one must ac ac accept, accept um, to become that bride. You are handpicked. So each one of us has been handpicked by Christ, um, sought after, and if we accept, he will come in and dwell with us. That's in Revelation 3, uh, verse 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so the first step is in becoming the bride is through an establishment of an intimate relationship between the bridegroom and the bride. And it only comes when we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Um, also, I looked at Romans 10, verse 10, for which with the heart one believes and with righteousness, that's righteousness and with the mouth one confesses and that's salvation. Um, then we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into a worthy bride. A bride that is loved, that is sanctified by the cleansing of the washing of water of the word, making her pure and holy. And Hebrews 12 gives us a great picture of being transformed into that dwelling place. <laughs> being a dwelling place of God calls for holiness. And being transformed means that we become conformed into the image of Christ. So with that, I'm looking at being getting rid of every weight that weighs us down, the sins that easily creeps us. And those are things that looks like, it's not the big sins because we become so aware of bigger sins. We are able to see, we are able to discern, but it is the smaller things that creeps in easily that we become lukewarm that we don't belong in either camp, whether we are in the kingdom of the Babylon system or the kingdom where God wants us to live a holy life. Um, 
Then I said, well, transformation, yes, doesn't just happen. It's a process that is born out of working with God intimately. It is a journey of discipline, endurance, and perseverance. Uh, God's discipline is for our good and that we may share in his holiness. We fully embrace the correction and training of God because in doing so, it produces the character of righteousness, peace, and joy. We get rid of the sin that I just spoke about, and we strengthen this, like, when we are tired, there's always strength for us. We can seek Christ to strengthen us. He's never left us alone. We have the Holy Spirit that is always walking with us every day. And so the bride is one who will dwell with God in Jerusalem, clothes herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, which reflects uh, the glory of God. Um, I was just thinking about that, where there's, uh, in the Bible, where there's the image of where John sees Christ coming on the white horse and his garment is clothed, dipped in the blood. And there's the saints who are riding with him. Their garment is pure white without any stain. And so I was thinking in that way because we can only become pure if we go through the washing of the blood. And so he has that blood as a bride. He covers us with his garment. And that's what the groom does. He covers the bride. He protects her. He washes her. And we become holy. We become holy because we have been sanctified. We have gone through that garment that he has that is always over him. And whoever comes under him as a bride, you become washed and you become pure and you reflect that glory that he talks about um, for in preparation for the new Jerusalem. And so I, I'm like, so what we may ask why God allows like the systems that exist. Um, if there's already, he's already prepared, he's already shown what the new Jerusalem looks like. Why does he still allow Babylon and the system to exist? And so throughout the Bible, God has used Babylon, the Gentile nations, to punish Israel, his bride. Whenever she sinned, uh, whenever she, she strayed away or did what was not right in his eyes, to lure her back to himself. Uh, the book of Hosea also gives us a great example of the faithfulness of God and how he constantly comes back and takes her back to become his bride, even when she is constantly fornicating with other men. God is still faithful to this day and still calling his people to come back into that place that he has uh, prepared for us. And um, 
Yes, today God is allowing Babylon to exist to prove who his bride is because we have to be proven. We have to make sure that we are committed. We are not just going to say, well, he's faithful, he'll take me back. But when we make that decision, we fully give ourselves all and be prepared to die for righteousness, be prepared to stand out even when we are the only ones standing for this generation. Um, I see that even for his church, to bring sanctification, sanctification and refine her for his own glory, God has used the very system uh, for the good of his church to grow her. The darker the system, the brighter the light she carries. I mean, if the system is as light, you can't tell the difference, then the light is not as bright as you can see. But there's so much darkness happening right now. There's so much things as we go forward, as we go near to the end, there'll be so much dark things that the Christians are going to shine brighter because the, the, bright, the darker the place is, the brighter your light is going to shine. And so, yes, despite the, the hardships and persecution, the church experiences today, there's an abundance of an outpouring of the spirit. God is at work in these hard places and he is drawing out the hearts of those, um, of those that are thirsting for his holiness. Okay, <laughs> I thought maybe I'm done. My time has gone up. Anyway, I am just, um, I will conclude with saying that when we look at the seven letters wrote, written to the seven churches, in each letter to each church, we can take something for our church today. Whether it is about being losing the first love that we first had, God is calling us to return to our first love because it is that pure devotion that we come anticipating every day, eager to have fellowship and devotion with Him that He still wants us to have. And um, also, with um, I looked at, I think the last one I was looking at was the letter to the the Odyssea, where he, he talks about him coming as the one who holds the double-edged sword. And if you look at each letter, each letter written to the churches, the way that Jesus has described himself when he comes, before he talks about what he's proud of this church doing and the things that he tells them that they need to work on, what he describes himself and what their weaknesses are, are very parallel. It speaks into that weakness. And with this one, like he says, I am the one with double-edged sword. And when we read about the double-edged sword, it's something that penetrates to the bones, to the marrows, that changes and speaks and builds. And their weakness was that... Um... <laughs> something that uh, brings us back to him 
and build us the doctrines that we hold that are not really strong he speaks into that that we can draw on him and uh, i think i'm done with that oh this was awesome another awesome awesome talk i think um you know that was that was so great i i, I hate to stop you guys because isn't it awesome don't you want to just listen to them the whole night like each one of them so far um and so this has been that was awesome lois um and I could feel there's so much you had to pour out to us. I know you didn't get to, and and uh, it, it was really great. I know that I could hear experience in there in so many levels um, and um, looking at the two different systems of the way things are, the way you shared that makes me really understand why you're a woman of such great faith because you are, you are, um, you are in, the kingdom and it's very obvious that's all i need to say right now but i can tell i it i can tell on so many levels so anyway there's so much more i could say but let me open it up i know you guys want to comment with your with your uh, dear peer classmate wasn't that great just jump in we have a few minutes she did go a little over again but let's jump in so dan can go ahead just jump in so i just want to say lois that i don't know anyone else who can speak about God judgment with such a peace yeah. and such authority and power and sweetness and this is only because of your own experience and relationship with God and I love it thank you it was amazing that was awesome keep jumping in guys amazing is the word you did an excellent work thank you for how you nailed down pride. We have really noted pride. How praise looks good on us, so we want to take it for ourselves, but it is to God who is to receive the glory alone. Thank you so much. It was so insightful, and we desire that we will all work towards being his bride. Amen. So good. Keep going. Keep going. Jump in. Yes, I think it. Lois, I think it's so beautiful how, like you, they were talking about the way that you spoke. When you spoke about Babylon, <clears throat> and some people and I were talking just recently, it shows how, um, when you're speaking about revelations, how we're living in the times that you're speaking about. And um, I've noticed just recently, I've been, I guess, just over in my own little place for about a decade, and I didn't realize how perverse that the world has become recently like on apps and things like that with the unclothing my family and i were talking about that today about how so many people are exposing themselves because darkness is um, very apparent right now in our world and it was so beautiful to hear you talk about you know how the lord loves and how he's coming in and how he's setting us apart in the way that you described that it was, it's so profound how you're unpacking revelations as we're living the times, you know, you're, you're unpacking the revelation that we're living. And, um, it's beautiful to see how the Lord loves us all, but how he is really setting apart the bride and preparing her and separating her from the things that are not of his heart. And, um, he loves all, but 
you know, he has a um, plumb line for her. And he has um, the reason that he loves her so much is because he died for her. And you, the way that you just so eloquently shared that really brought another depth. Like I'm, my little brain's trying to process. It brought another depth to the level of the love that he has for his people. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. I, know, I, just, I wanted to say real quickly, Lois, I've never heard the revelation on um, uh, the garment Jesus on the white horse and good. it dipped in blood. I've never, ever thought that that blood was from the saints because their robes were white. That just, that was like huge. I just went and grabbed my Bible so I can read it again and go, why didn't I see that? But that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, that was, that was a page turner. We're going to, yep. okay. we're going to be listening to a lot of this over again. Okay. Um, so I, Lois, thank you. We did not fully unpack it. I just, you know, you guys have had a lot of meat to share today and I just appreciate it. We got two more. So hang in there, guys. It's going to be, it's a 